sold hot dogs off of my friend's front yard. First agency as a junior art director on CoverGirl. I was in advertising for about three years before I started the company. I get antsy. I decided to start looking for something new, and that's when I ended up at Havas, which is actually where I met my co-founders. I was freelancing on the side for some nonprofits here in New York, Yeah. and they were just constantly asking me for more resources. Part, I'm a problem solver, and I think when I hook onto a great problem, it's just kind of game over. Or if I can't connect directly with stuff that I care about, realizing that there was no place for me to find work that means something to me. Kristen had done a full competitive audit uh, of the space. Claire had put together an entire business plan. Doing good and making money should not be mutually exclusive. We had six months of rent in our bank accounts. Claire got a job as a bartender. Squarespace site first, just to get a wait list of at least freelancers. We knew if we had the jobs, I think with any marketplace, there's usually one side that's harder. We knew if we brought the work to the table, the freelancers would come. Organic Facebook groups to do that. So we posted in like New York City ad jobs. We went to every nonprofit event in the city that we could find. We were hitting a huge pain point. Timing matters because we ended up launching the first platform a month before the 2016 election. And that's when we took that momentum to go fundraise. Half a million dollars in revenue last year, all on word of mouth. Crazy rabbit hole that is fundraising, which is like a whole thing in and of itself. And I didn't know what it's doing. I didn't go to business school. I didn't even know the difference between like an angel investor and a VC. Figured out that like, okay, we need to raise some money to do this. So we had to run some numbers on you know what we needed, who we needed to hire. That was no one knows how much your company needs to raise, but you. About eight months for me to find a lead investor, and that was I, and by the end of the round, so we raised 1.1 million in the first round, and by the end of it, I had talked to and gotten over 200 no's. It turns out they needed way more than just one freelancer. So we pivoted, launched this shiny new platform, and frankly, the sales sucked. It was pennies, really, what we were taking home. You know, there's always a reason why something's not selling. We just got to work, and thankfully, our investors were uh, brutally honest with us, which is what you need. We really sat down with our customers, and we started asking questions and selling different versions, and then we started creating all of these little tiny agencies. It seems very obvious now, looking back on it. So we started pairing them together almost like a tiny agency. Revenue spiked 400% after we launched that in the first month. Money gives you two things. You can either have time or resources. What we needed was time. We cut, we slashed everything, our burn to like a third of what it was, and got to work. Numbers don't lie. Well, they can lie, but when the numbers tell you to do, glaringly do something, <laughs> you glaringly do it. So we shut off our offering of individual hires, and, and these are teams that don't exist today. So. We're not aggregating agencies onto a platform. We're taking individual freelancers far cheaper than a traditional agency is. The Amazon infrastructure for services form an agency, which is usually too big of a leap for people. But today, besides us, there is no service that can really enable somebody to run that leanly. Music and fashion and sports and other things that people care about. It's not even comparable to an agency because the team itself is so curated. We're kicked off in 72 hours. Challenging not to burn out, it's been challenging not to emotionally. The mental and emotional strain, I think, is, is challenging and I think it's challenging for a lot of entrepreneurs and probably isn't talked about enough. So CEO, you tend to have to be a mile wide and an inch deep. And I love learning as I go. A safety net for our freelancers, things like insurance. Sure, it's been thought of a million times, we're just the first to execute on it. Winner, I guess, of this space um, is the one who can capture the best talent. And the best talent is going to go to the place that has meaningful work for them. Hi guys, I just want to take a moment to apologize for the very bad audio in this episode. It's 100% my fault. The microphone for our very esteemed guest, Rachel of Wethos, malfunctioned. It's 100% on me. So I totally get if you can, if you want to shut off the episode, but uh, I have about six more episodes filmed and they all have great audio and I am ensuring and taking the steps that that never happens again. So thank you so much. And I hope that you get some value out of this amazing interview. So without further ado, let's get to it. Welcome to Startup Hunter. I am here with Rachel Renock of Wethos and Startup Hunter is also streaming on YouTube. And we take a look at startups that have made it, that are making it, or that have failed. But right now, Rachel and, Rachel and Wethos are still alive and they are still making it. So Wethos started out as a two-sided marketplace connecting people with specific skills like graphic design or administrative experience with nonprofits. Yeah. 
And before we get too deep into your day-to-day -day and, 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 your, and what your company is, I want to go all the way back. So I want to know, you know, when you were little, um, what the forces were that sort of helped you become the person you are today. And I think the perfect place to start is what did your parents do? Uh, yeah, okay. So um, my mom was actually an entrepreneur and she started several of her own companies, um, one of which she ran through the majority of my um, childhood and uh, my dad was a vice president of the transportation authority in Syracuse so I'm from Syracuse New York and uh, he dealt with like all the operations of the buses and everything that were you know the routes and the drivers and all the stuff that was going on in there so two very different ends of the spectrum which um, I think probably led to my mixture of both like risk-taking and also um, just general strategic soundness I guess um, but you know I grew up watching my mom now what did ideas. she what did she do what was her what was so she did a couple different things mainly the main company that she ran and sold though was back in the 90s and she um, would go to doctor's offices and digitize all of their paperwork so they sold computer systems yeah to medical offices uh, you know back when that wasn't really like a thing at all. <laughs> sure, uh, back in the 90s, like when t as technology progresses, different things are like valuable and you know, things that don't seem valuable today might've been extremely difficult and to right. do back then. And, and, and you could build a business around something like that. Yeah, so she would go to the doctor's offices that were you know, still running on like paperwork and like handwritten stuff and printing stuff out and she would digitize. They would set up a computer system for them, digitize everything and get him up and running. And uh, she did that for a long time, I think at least 10 years. So you, so you were saying you had an interesting mix of risk taking. So what was the first entrepreneurial thing that you can remember doing? The first truly entrepreneurial thing that I guess I would consider um, part of this story is uh, when I was in college, I sold hot dogs uh, off of my friend's front yard um, to drunk people on Halloween. Yeah. And we went to Costco and we bought like, I don't know, a bag of like 200 hot dogs for like $5 or something ridiculous and buns and we sold them back for, you know, $2 a dog, but everybody was, they were all drunk. So sometimes maybe it was a little bit more than that. Um, and I set up shop on Halloween weekend and uh, we sold like, I think I made like $500 that night. Wow. <laughs> which in college is like a crazy amount of money. Yeah. Um, and I used that to buy a plane ticket to visit my friend in LA. Um, and that is probably my earliest sort of like pure entrepreneurial um, status, I guess. So did you go right from college right into forming Wethos or what no. did you do what did you do before this? Sure. So I actually went to so I went to Syracuse University and I went there for uh, art school. I went to the School for Visual and Performing Arts. Um, so I've always been very creative. I did a lot of fine arts in high school. And uh, when I got there, I ended up going into design, communications design, which put me straight on a path to advertising. So I uh, became an art director when I graduated, um, came down here to New York. I got a job uh, at my first agency as a junior art director on CoverGirl. Cool. Um, worked for an amazing creative director who I'm still in touch with today and made a huge impact on me and my career, um, probably more than she knows. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and I was in advertising for about three years before I started the company. So a really strong female role model. Yes, definitely. And in, in a probably a very male-dominated advertising world. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting. I, I don't know that I necessarily registered it that way, but uh, she was just a really incredible boss. Yeah. Frank, like, just um, was really on top of things, gave me tons of opportunities. Being a woman, uh, it was easier for her to maybe judge me based on potential and not on proof, mm -hmm. um, which is the trap that you fall into as a woman. Um, so she kind of gave me that that leash, you know, the, the long leash to go and 
figure out what I could do. So junior art director, did you get promoted? I left that agency after a year um, and I ran a lot of CoverGirl's digital content. Now so were you doing this as your own uh, company? No, I was there, I was employed by uh, Gray's digital agency, which now I think is owned by somebody else. But okay. No, I was full time at the agency, but I, at the time in 2013, it was still in the stages, digital was still in the stages of like give it to the juniors. Yeah. Which is still kind of is what I think brands and clients are trying to realize like that it's one of the most important aspects of their marketing strategy. 80 year olds, like my 80 year old father knows how to use the phone to the point where I have to tell him like, back off on the Facebook dad. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but in 2013, right. I kind of just handed that to like the junior, just like, oh, make some Facebook content, make some Instagram. So like I was shooting CoverGirl's Instagram content at one point, like on the roof of the Ogilvy building, like just me. Just you. <laughs> and like nail polish and makeup, like just doing these little mini sets. So you were doing, you were, you were doing the styling, you were doing everything on a shoe, yeah. shoestring budget for a massive brand. Yeah, yes. Uh, and I was doing a lot of the digital design um, in terms of just like social content on Facebook and other things like that. Uh, we did a couple of live, like war room type of things. Um, like the Super Bowl and other, other things like that. But yeah, so that, that was fun, but uh, I, I get antsy. So I decided to start looking for uh, something new, and that's when I ended up at Havas, which is actually where I met my co-founders. But I was there for about two, two and a half years before we left. Was it, the, was it just the co-founders that gave you the confidence? Like, was it, I met this great team of, of, of people, and it doesn't matter what we do as long as we do something together, or was there a conscious, like, focus on nonprofits. Like yeah. tell me tell me unpack that and, and tell so, me about the history. So there's a conscious moment. I mean, um, in twenty sixteen, like April twenty sixteen, to reply to the political chaos, uh, I was freelancing on the side for some nonprofits here in New York. Yeah. And they were just constantly asking me for more resources. Um, did I know any developers or writers? I sort of sat down with them and realized you know, what a crazy researching disparity there was and how they couldn't really find great people. And on the other side of things, I had this huge network of advertising people who really wanted to do um, more work that mattered to them. And they wanted to apply their skills to something that they felt was making an impact. And at the end of the day, confidence is definitely part of it, but at heart, I'm a problem solver and I think um, when I when I hook onto a great problem, it's just kind of game over. So I went ahead and started researching and figuring out like, you know, well on Upwork, I can't connect directly with stuff that I care about. Um, on really on any of the job platforms, LinkedIn, anything, there's really no space for people to say like, I'm really interested in sports or fashion or in, in our regard, like impact, things like that. Um, you can really only search by like nonprofit or, or Role. So it's not really taking, it's, it's really stripped a lot of the humanity, I think, out of looking for work. And in a, in a world where work and life continue to blend, um, you know, I think we really have to take a serious look at how we find and look for jobs right now and think about um, what's meaningful to us as people and put that back into the process of hiring. So people uh, are looking for stuff that, actually, that they actually can connect with. You're looking on Upwork, and you're looking on all LinkedIn and all these sites. You're you're doing nonprofit work on the side on top of your normal job, yeah. and it's really clear to you, or it's becoming clear to you that the this, the these extra things the nonprofits are asking for you are are not easy to find. Um, so, like, tell me, like, this is sort of when when did the light bulb go off, like? I need to do something about this yeah. and like maybe quit my job and sure. you know when did the light bulb go up and and, t and how did your co-founders um, you know fit in with all of this yeah of course so once I figured out like the light bulb really went off when I started looking on other platforms and realizing that there was no place for me to find work that means something to me and I know uh, how powerful that is just inside of people um, and so I started to design the platform myself. I started to just bring it to life, put it down on paper, which is usually just how I do things to get them on my head. And once I'd had the first couple of pages sort of wireframed out, that's when I um, G-chatted, I think Claire, Claire first, maybe? I don't know, but pretty much at the same time. Um, and, you know, it wasn't like I proactively was like, 
by a Richard company. These are the two women I'm going to do it with. I met them. What I did know and what Claire Kristen and I continue to have in common is both Claire and Kristen are two people, are two of the smartest people um, that I've ever met. And at the time, they had, I could tell that they had like exponential uh, potential and um, the people around them weren't giving them the opportunities to show what they could really do, which is how I felt too. Um, and so knowing that, those are the two people that I thought of first and like who's going to be crazy enough and ambitious enough to want to do something like this. So yeah. I brought them in, I, got, I bought Kristen lunch, I think I bought Claire a coffee and uh, I told them, pitched them my idea, I said I want to make a platform for freelancers specifically um, to be able to find more meaningful work uh, within the nonprofit space. And they loved it. I mean, they also are very impact-focused just generally. Um, so that was a huge thing, and they were just fully aligned. And Claire and Kristen, uh, if there's one story that describes them both the best, it's that after I pitched them this idea, I ended up going on vacation, I think, for like a week or so. And I came back, and Kristen had done a full competitive audit uh, of the space. Claire had put together an entire business plan, uh, like a 15-page business plan, like without me having really said anything. And that's when I was like, okay, <laughs> like I, you know, when you give, I think when you give people like that the right opportunity, they, sh they, you know, show up and that's really what matters the most. Well, I remember once I had a business idea and, 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 I, and I like coded it up and I went on Craigslist and I tried to find somebody to help me code it. And he's like, and I was trying to tell him like, yeah, this is going to be super amazing and nobody's ever done this. And he's like, cool, I'm not interested in equity, uh, but here's my rate. So the fact that you, you know, found this kind of enthusiasm, I think is really amazing. I'm really happy. I'm really lucky that I found them. So anyway, so I brought them on. We put all the materials together. We started doing market research. When we found out what a huge market opportunity this was in terms of the resourcing in the nonprofit space, um, which is quite frankly, like completely untouched, except for the sort of old school traditional staffing firms. And the nonprofit was huge. I mean, they're like the third largest employer in the US. The resourcing opportunity in this space itself was like, ended up being like a $150 billion market. So it's it, it's a market in theory. And what was, what was the first step? So you, she, um, your, your co-founders, Alexis and Kristen. Uh, Claire and Kristen. Claire, sorry, your co-founders, Claire and Kristen. Mm -hmm. Um, they, 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 they do the audit, they do the business plan, yep. and what was the next step in manifesting yeah. and, and, and realizing this? Sure, so the market research was a huge thing and just in terms of like the opportunity and what we wanted to do with it because um, we needed to know like, can we make money here? Can we sustain a business here? Uh, and fundamentally, we believe as a company and as people that doing good and making money should not be mutually exclusive. Um, and that has to shift dramatically in our culture in order for us to fix uh, a lot of the problems the core problems face, frankly, has created. So um, for us, like we wanted to find a way for this to be sustainable and also meaningful, as I'm sure everybody says when they're doing any kind of social impact thing. But predominantly, I think, you know, we realized after talking to so many nonprofits that these people are solving some of like the toughest problems that exist in the world today. Right. And the fact that they have to rely on, you know, their cousin's graphic design volunteer down the street to get a website up for them so that they can solve hunger is insane to me. So uh, we really wanted to find a more sustainable way for them to find the resources that they needed that was still affordable and freelance is a great way to do that. So that summer, we kind of got over all these sort of hurdles on can we make money here? What's our business model What's the situation? started uh, really pouring into the design of the platform itself. Um, we made the classic mistake, I guess, maybe not a mistake, but classic assumption that most people do, which is let's just build it and then we'll figure, and then we'll get people on it, which would not be the approach I would take today. But <laughs> that's what we did. We found a developer, I met him actually at a coffee shop, convinced him to build it. For free or? Uh, yeah, the first iteration was free, and then we paid him after that. And then we all sort of made a plan. We had six months of rent in our bank accounts, so we stayed, we worked until we had enough for six months. And then um, we quit our jobs in August 2016, 
And I, I also want to be clear, we didn't quit our jobs so that we didn't have to work anymore. Um, Claire got a job as a bartender, Kristen got a job in a coffee shop, and I freelanced, so we still had to pay our bills. Uh, we really quit for more flexible work so that we could be available during business hours. Um, and we just grinded it out for about a year. We ended up launching our first MVP about a month before the election. So you were saying how building at first maybe not a good idea. So you're building the MVP. What are you doing um, to market it, you know, on, on the side and, sure. and, and build some hype? Yeah, so the classics were like marketplace chicken and egg situation. I mean, the good news is that for us was that we had an amazing background experience in marketing and sales. <laughs> for the first like couple of people, we actually ended up building or deploying like a Squarespace site first over the summer just to get a wait list of at least freelancers. We knew if we had the jobs, I think with any marketplace, there's usually one side that's harder. We knew if we brought the work to the table, the freelancers would come. The easier side is to get like a sort of a short list of, of freelancers who are interested in doing this. We use organic Facebook groups to do that. So we posted in like New York City ad jobs. Hey, we're you know gonna build a platform that connects people with more freelance nonprofit work. Like if you're interested in hearing when we're live, like put your, give us your email. We ended up getting like 300 emails in like two days. Organic Facebook groups are amazing and they still work really well today. It's like the last part of Facebook that actually works from a marketing perspective. <laughs> After that, we were like, okay, people really want this. And what we started doing is just like straight up networking. I mean, there's really no silver bullet to it. We went to every nonprofit event in the city that we could find. We went to freelancer events, we went to tech meetups, and we just started getting the word out there, like literally on foot. Um, and the network just started growing and growing, and that's also how I ended up raising investment money. So, okay, even before we get into investment money, yeah. um, was it sort of like, do you feel you needed one customer, and, or like, and by customer I mean nonprofit, like one champion, do you, or was it sort no. of there was just a lot of interest pretty much all at the same time? Well, there was a lot of interest um, predominantly because we were, saw, we were hitting a huge pain point. And most people, when they approach the nonprofit space, I think, in wanting to build a business around it or tech or whatever, it's always so focused on fundraising, which I get. Everybody wants the dollars, everybody wants to fundraise. There's a million fundraising um, platforms out there now. And no one was focusing on the fact that they don't have the resources to do the work that is required mm -hmm. um, to do a digital you know, fundraising campaign. Like, that requires an entire team. So with our focus on resources, I would say pretty easy to get our first couple of people because their other option was just like word of mouth, like asking around. Okay, so you have, um, can you say the, the, some of the first companies that were on? Uh, yeah, I mean, we did a ton of work with, uh, with Project Orphans. They were out in, uh, they're out in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We did work with the Vacuteer. Um, we did work with a lot of the local nonprofits here in New York, some of the LGBT organizations that I was working with. We had these really incredible freelancers and we, we showcased their portfolios and their capabilities. And at the end of the day, putting that match together and getting some work done that I think was more the challenging part rather than sourcing. <laughs> so your MVP launches, yeah. you know, you have, a, you have a trickle of people on both sides of the marketplace. And I assume that Wethos takes a, a, a fee. Yeah, so that was our original business model. Um, we are a different company today, but yeah, we would take a 15% cut from the freelance side. So for nonprofits, it was totally free to use, to post, to find freelancers on. Um, we ran into a slew of other challenges next, but for the most part, that was a business model that you know, exist today. That's how Upwork makes money. That's how a lot of these companies do. So we, we took that as a starting point. So what I want to know is, you know, when this thing, this company starts running, how do, and you see, you know, hey, we have a shot of uh, not having to go back to, you know, the nine to five grind. Yeah. How did that feel? Uh, it felt crazy. <laughs> um, when we launched the thing, it really did take off and the timing matters because we ended up launching the first platform a month before the 2016 election. And after the election happened in early November, you know, the pendulum always swings the other way. So all the people in the streets that were marching and doing all these all these protests, by day those were developers and designers and writers and whatever, and they were looking for an outlet to take action. So mm -hmm. we ended up acquiring like a thousand freelancers and like, I think like 200 nonprofits in the first like four months. So it was an awesome feeling, but it was also operationally crazy because half of our tech was not built well mm -hmm. and 
uh, we were doing a lot of stuff manually, as, as a lot of companies do in the beginning. So it was a lot of volume to sort of manage and process, and um, a lot of our customers needed more help. They, they were one step before knowing what they needed, in that they knew they wanted to get something done and they knew they had a problem, but it was hard for them to articulate what they needed. So that created an extra layer of customer service that was not like a you know DIY, just build a platform and they can do the thing. Um, so that led us to down a, down a the path we're on today. But uh, at the time, it was pretty amazing. Um, and that's when we took that momentum to go fundraise. Typically, your fundraising occurs when you're at this kind of sweet spot of supply and demand. So you have a lot of demand, mm -hmm. and you literally know that if you don't up the supply, in the most basic sense, uh, you're probably going to hurt your business. So what was that moment where you said, oh boy, we need some help, and we're not just begging, we're not, you know, we have something real here, we need some help. Like, what was the moment? Yeah, so, you know, predominantly the tech breaking was um, the biggest concern at that point. And the fact that, like, we really needed to build a, a sound product for this. And we knew it, it needed more than just sort of your standard marketplace who our customers were. Um, so we really went out to fundraise for that reason to really be able to invest and build a, a great product. And then, uh, for awareness, because judging on the small like network of people in New York that knew about us and how quickly the word was spreading, and in fact, my business did we did half a million dollars in revenue last year, all on word of mouth. Still runs quite well on just organic word of mouth and growth, but knowing that we knew that if we had the money for awareness, um, and we were able <coughs> to spread the word everywhere then we would really be in business. And in order to really be in business, we needed a product. So you, you needed a product. You, reali you realized your, your, your problem. And you realized you did not have the resources to run the company and build yeah. it. And, and that led you to say, hey, we need to get some help. Yeah. yeah. So um, who did you go to? We just opened up like the, the crazy cavern that is fundraising, like this crazy rabbit hole that is fundraising, which is like a whole thing in and of itself. And I didn't know what it's doing. Um, I didn't go to business school. I didn't even know the difference between like an angel investor and a VC. Um, and figured out that like, okay, we need to raise some money to do this. So we had to run some numbers on you know what we needed, who we needed to hire. That was also very difficult and just didn't without having the experience of having done it before. Um, and the fact that like when you're fundraising you're kind of getting emotional whiplash, not only from investors, but also just people around you go back and forth between like, raise this much, raise that much, when in reality, like, now I know this, but no one knows how much your company needs to raise but you. So that advice is always um, moot, unless it's an investor saying you should raise more capital to make sure that you have enough, because you will run out. Do you feel uh, you got um, investors that were aligned with, with your vision? Yes, for sure. So it took me about, from that point forward, it took about eight months for me to find a lead investor, and that was, and by the end of the round, so we raised 1.1 million in the first round, and by the end of it, I had talked to and gotten over 200 no's. The team that we have around us now, which is Brooklyn Bridge Ventures, Flybridge, um, Pipeline Angels, and a couple of uh, really, really helpful angel investors, actually, former CEO of Upwork is one. All eyes are focused on that. They don't seem to be yelling at us. If I die today, blame Hunter. I, 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 I hope that doesn't happen. We made it, we're alive. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, but it took a very long time and it was Watch very out for frustrating. The and uh, um, just a really interesting and also just frustrating experience generally. But um, yeah, now, now we definitely have a team around us that is aligned to our vision. And I think at the end of the day, people, really latch on to the idea of more meaningful work as a catalyst and as sort of like the why to, you know, what, why we exist. Your, your team, how many people do you have? Sure, so fast forward to today, we actually end up pivoting away from doing a traditional marketplace with one-to-one -one matching, and now we deploy collaborative teams. So because of our customer base and their needs being so different, um, it turns out they needed 
way more than just one freelancer. So over the summer, actually, just about six months ago, we pivoted and we started to sell teams of freelancers that we packaged together. And that just took off. So like the half a million dollars I just mentioned, 90% of that came in in the last six months from teams. Uh huh. So now the, the way that my team is structured today um, is there's seven of us full time. So Claire, Kristen and I, um, Claire heads up uh, mostly sales and new business, business development, stuff like that. Kristen heads up communications. Um, so all the strategy around, you know, the website and social channels and internal communications and just, I mean, communications is a beast. Um, I have, Kristen works with Alexis, who's our um, content community manager. So she works a lot with the freelancer community and on the social channels and manages a lot of that stuff. Events, speaking opportunities, all that fun stuff. And then on the other side of things, um, we have Amy, who's our director of accounts. She runs the current accounts um, inside of the company and manages um, you know, all the inbound coming in from teams when they need new stuff or we need a team um, when sales closes things. And then I have a product team. So I have Al and Jeremy who work on uh, product and engineering and they pretty much bring our ideas to life. I want to unpack a little bit about your pivot, which is, and just a refresher, and she just did mention it, but I, I just want to mention it again. You sort of started out as a two-sided marketplace to connect individual freelancers yeah. with specific skills, graphic design, video skills, uh, whatever it may be, to nonprofits. And then recently, you made a decision that that wasn't working, or yeah. was there more demand for something else? Uh, so it's a little bit of everything, but predominantly after we so we relaunched the new platform in January of 2017 after the funding, and we spent six months building and all this stuff. We relaunched this shiny new platform, and frankly, the sales sucked. Like they just, we couldn't get above, I think, um, gross income. We were doing like 20 or 30 thousand a month, and at that point, with our 15% take rate, you know, it was pennies really what we were taking home um, in gross profit, and that's not even, you know, that's before operational expenses that we really weren't able to grow the revenue the way that we needed to. So sort of barely profitable. Yeah, we were doing, we were processing volume, but yes. at the end of the day, with a marketplace like that and with such a small take rate, you have a choice, right? You have to have a high volume of contracts going through. So even more volume. Even more volume, or your contracts themselves need to be bigger. They need to have be not, you know, couple thousand dollars they need to be fifty thousand dollars <laughs> yeah so um, and then you know there's always a reason why something's not selling um, yes so we just got to work and and thankfully our investors were uh, brutally honest with us which is what you need and said like you th these numbers need to go up we really sat down with our customers and we started asking questions and selling different versions I actually wrote a whole blog post about pivot and where we netted out was they really needed more than one freelancer. And so, which seems very obvious now looking back on it. So we started pairing them together almost like a tiny agency. And then we started creating all of these little tiny agencies um, made up of, of individual freelancers that were remote and distributed across the US. Claire, my co-founders are putting scopes of work together um, against that. And that just took off. Revenue spiked 400% after we launched that in the first month. So we had a decision to make at that point because our revenue wasn't there. I had let go of some of our original team members. We cut the office, we cut our burn rate um, because, you know, money gives you two, uh, two things. You can either have time or resources. What we needed was time. We cut, we slashed everything, our burn to like a third of what it was and got to work. <laughs> and after that point, after the new model took off, we had to pivot everything else. So we were a small team and we had to make a decision of Am I right now going to do two things not great or one thing really well? And how confident are we after one month's worth of data that Teams is the way to go? You know, my opinion on it is like when the numbers numbers don't lie, well, they can lie, but when the numbers tell you to do glaringly do something, <laughs> you glaringly do it. So we shut off our offering of individual hires and we went, spent the next six months selling like crazy and pivoting the uh, remaining parts of the business to the new model, which included a product pivot, a business model change, 
two business model changes, actually. So talk about that, the business model <laughs> changes, if you would. Yeah, sure. So one of the hardest things about teams is the level of complexity that happens in the back end to make this happen. So if you, and, and these are teams that don't exist today, so we're not aggregating agencies onto a platform. We're taking individual freelancers with custom skill sets and curating a team specifically for something that needs to get done down to not just the skills they have, but like I said before, um, the languages they speak, their demographic, where they're from, what they love, um, all of that gets taken into consideration because we're doing a lot of work. We've just seen over time that more diverse teams perform so much better. Anyway, it's very complicated. <laughs> so from a business model perspective, we needed to find a way to charge, we charge more now, we mark up more, but we're still far cheaper than a traditional agency is. And we needed to find sort of like a middle ground there. And we needed to make sure that our margins were big enough so that we could actually get to the point of like covering our operational expenses um, and then growing exponentially from there. So we ended up changing our business model from the 15% fee to uh, a markup at first. So a freelancer has an hourly rate of 40 an hour we mark up by 50%, which is about 300% cheaper than a traditional agency does. And we charge the client 60 an hour. Freelancer takes home 40, we take home 20. Um, that worked and that got us through the first like three or four months. But then the sheer volume of teams that we were deploying on a monthly basis and managing, the tracking on the hours and tracking the hourly rates and all of that operationally, again, was too overwhelming. So we actually just recently launched a points-based Model. This puts also all of our skills like on the same playing field. Um, so each point is worth $150 and we assign points to different tasks and deliverables based actually on products from, which is the level of complexity required to complete it, the level of expertise, uh, which is something that we added, um, the uncertainty or the risk, and then the time that it takes. I have a question. Sure. And it's okay if you the answer is yes <laughs> or no. Sure. The question is, are you an, are you an agency now are, no. or are you a product? No, what we are and where we're moving is to enable anyone anywhere to either form or hire a team, a custom curated team. So, and that goes beyond marketing. So today we do a lot of marketing stuff, but the database that we have in terms of freelancers and the taxonomy that we've created in the back end, which is our IP, can be applied to any skill set. So eventually we hope to move into creating finance teams, creating sales teams, creating operations teams, really anything. And you can think of us as the Amazon infrastructure for services. So Amazon has vendors and people anywhere can sell what they sell on Amazon. Amazon made it really easy for anyone to sell stuff. Sure, I've, do, I've done it. Yeah, they take care of all the infrastructure, the shipping, the billing, all that stuff. We are that for services. So as a freelancer, an individual freelancer, it's really hard to grow because your option is either raise my hourly rate or form an agency, which is usually too big of a leap for people, especially creatives who don't want to do a lot of the administrative stuff that goes into it, operational stuff. So what we do is we provide the resources for the rest of the team, the infrastructure from an operational standpoint. So you have a team lead, um, the scheduling, the check-ins, the invoicing, the payments, all of the sort of administrative stuff that goes into it. We take care of all of that. So now we have clients that come to us who want to like rent a team. And we also now have freelancers who act um, a lot as our sales force, who bring things to us and we put the infrastructure around them to be able to execute on uh, a project that is much bigger than what they're able to do alone. About the kind of teams you're working with. Sure. Uh, are we? Are, are you global? Are you in? We're U.S. based. Yeah. Uh, all of our all of our specialists are U.S. based, and um, they are they're all custom based on the project, but predominantly do a lot of web work do a lot of campaigns, marketing campaign stuff. We have a lot of nonprofits who use us to rent social media teams on an ongoing basis. So yeah. um, they're renting a part-time strategist, content person, and uh, designer, you know? Um, and then uh, anything really regarding, we do fundraising teams as well. That's something that we just rolled out. Um, 
and anything regarding really like content creation, marketing, design, creative, um, it really spans across. We have right now seven available roles to be put on teams and over 200 capabilities um, that can be sort of like picked off of a menu essentially. It's interesting uh, because you started out with a really narrow focus. Yeah. And it got to the point where it's picked up a lot of steam and you reached out and got a lot of help and really got a lot of um, oomph is the only word. I don't even think that's a word, but. Yeah. And now you're sort of in a place where you're still doing your initial goal, but do you feel like your vision has pivoted? I think that what ended up happening was the nonprofit space, the market that we focus on, uh, they invented this model. And the thing is, is that nonprofits run really lean, but as of today, besides us, there is no service that can really enable somebody to run that leanly. Um, because really they had heads of, a lot of them had heads of departments that were also doing all the work that was in the department. So they were the ones that not only invented this model, but also adopted it first. <laughs> so like the ability to essentially have rentable departments or rentable teams is something that I think could span far beyond the nonprofit space. Uh -huh. But they were the ones that adopted it first. Um, they were the innovators on it. So from this perspective, where we go from here is we still are predominantly focused in the space, um, and we do really well in the nonprofit space. In 2019, we do hope to expand into for-profit, but with the uh, core message remaining, which is meaningful work. Uh -huh. So that now will expand beyond just uh, an impact focus and into things like music and fashion and sports and other things that people care about. Um, and so in that regard, we are creating curated teams of people who also share similar interests. So there's also this little sneaky social network aspect to it as well. Social networking is very much in demand and from 2013 when the junior people were, as you say, uh, thrown on digital, there's more demand than you know what to do with. Right. <laughs> and the thing that's weird about social right now is like, you're sort of split between the weird like LinkedIn environment um, which I, I'm not sure that knows what it is right now. And then the social social platforms like Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And when I was in college, you know, they used to say, make your Facebook private, make your Twitter private, make your LinkedIn beefed up, blah, blah, all sort of stuff. Stuff just not applicable anymore in 2019. I mean, you're Googling people and you're looking for their personality, you're looking for who they are, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, to have, um, and so like work, like I said, work and life start to, start to blend. So we're seeing a really cool kind of, I mean, right now, our freelance community does a lot of different stuff together in, in Slack channels, but um, we are definitely seeing a really, really cool social aspect to this where people are now meeting, not based just on what they can do, but also what they all care about. There's, I think, I think people have a lot of interests. Some of them maybe not consciously know, but when they're doing it and, they, and they're doing something that, that's rewarding um they know it they feel it yeah and it makes a, a world of difference i think so um yeah that, that's it's been a really sort of interesting journey to this point but the power of collaboration um in our environment has been absolutely incredible to watch and the the to see what these freelancers can do together has just been mind-blowing mm. and uh, you know it's not even comparable to an agency because the team itself is so curated. Frankly, the speed in which we move, I haven't mentioned this, but you know, when a nonprofit decides they want to hire us or one of our teams, um, the teams are assembled, briefed, onboarded, and kicked off in 72 hours. So it's like a spin-up AWS team, yeah. <laughs> except it's not robots. It's highly curated, highly targeted, yeah. um, highly motivated. Yes. Uh, Okay, let's take it from a different angle. What do you feel have been some of the biggest challenges over the last three years? Well, the sheer amount of work yeah. <laughs> is frankly unfathomable. I mean, my summer, I didn't have one. Like when we were pivoting, the sheer amount of just grunt work that goes into pivoting the rest of the company from like a data infrastructure perspective and a communications pivot and a 
product of it, all this stuff. I mean, it's been challenging not to burn out. It's been challenging not to emotionally, you know, dissipate. Um, I definitely do go to therapy. Uh, my my co-founders do as well. Can you get therapists on Wethos? <laughs> not yet. Aha. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, but you know, for us, like. The, the mental and emotional strain, I think, is, is challenging, and I think it's challenging for a lot of entrepreneurs and probably isn't talked about enough. So that, I think, is one of the biggest things that I've struggled with. Um, and then beyond that, finding great people is always a challenge, which I think we've done a really incredible job with with this team. And then, you know, being non-technical has continued to sort of haunt me in a way, <laughs> but I have figured out many workarounds for that, and I've built crazy relational databases in Google Sheets because <laughs> it's what I know. So uh, as, as sort of like a blueprint and a spec for the product team to build against. So yeah, so I think like, I think if I had an engineering background, um, it would be much easier for me to communicate the crazy vision that is an Amazon for, you know, small services. <laughs> but if you had an engineering background, you wouldn't have had a marketing background. I know. And <laughs> so maybe you'd be seeing everything as an engineering problem yeah. and pr maybe you wouldn't have even gotten to. You know, I probably wouldn't have. You're probably completely right. I think it's interesting for me. I feel very at home in this role only because as a CEO, you tend to have to be a mile wide and an inch deep. And I love learning as I go and the sheer volume of things that I've learned in the last three years is like astounding me. And so I, that's what I do absolutely love about it is that I'm constantly having to force to learn new stuff. And that's where I sort of thrive is in like a sink or swim kind of environment. <laughs> Swimmer. Yeah, you're not a sinker. <laughs> you, I'm sure you take a day off. Yes. I'm sure you've taken a day off in the last three years. I have. <laughs> <laughs> Which is good. <laughs> I try. Um, yeah, I actually was just home this weekend. I just took the end of last week off and went home to Syracuse to hang out with my parents. There you go. Um, but yeah, I think for me the struggle again, more of a mental health thing because physically not working is one thing, but mentally not mm -hmm. working or not thinking about something or not waking up in the middle of the night like, oh, I think we could do this for that problem. Like it's really tough to get your brain to, you know, slow down. Um, and that's probably the biggest struggle that I have in terms of unwinding. There are some nights that I go to sleep and the mind is still racing until 3 or 4 a.m. and I just, it just happens sometimes. So yeah. I'm aware it's of- like In and out of a dream state, but you're like kind of working. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I, I'm still aware that like, winding down is so critical, uh, right. you know, to, to getting that full sleep. Yeah, yeah. I have to do some, you know, mantras just around like telling myself to stop <laughs> like cog like co like consciously understanding when i'm doing that my brain's still going and saying like taking a deep couple deep breaths and saying like you know think about it in the morning think about it in the morning and then just getting myself to kind of slowly shut down a little bit um has definitely helped but it's that's i think that that's the one of the biggest challenges i would say so you definitely are aware of timing yes <laughs> and um so, so on that topic i'm going to challenge you uh, we're about, we are probably in a recession. We are probably in the, in the beginning yeah. part of a recession. So this is a big, this is a big kind of sink or swim moment. Yeah. And uh, what's your plans for that? So the thing about what we do is that we offer people the ability to rent teams. So one of the biggest things that happens during a recession is people lose their jobs. Yeah. And they lose their full-time jobs. They lose their security. They lose all these other and the great thing about what we do is that as we expand across other skills, we can take, increasingly scoop up that talent and make jobs that were not possible to freelance for before because they required a team uh, possible now. Things like being a researcher or uh, even like being a strategist is tough without the creative team to execute. As we start to expand, not only can we help scoop up that talent, but Next year, we hope to roll out a safety net for our freelancers. Things like insurance, things like paid vacation, um, other offerings like that, partnering with other companies who are already doing this in the space. Uh, and in that regard, it works on both ends. So we're able to sort of scoop that talent up um, and give them that steady paycheck, that steady stream of work. 
and then for companies who might be struggling and need to cut budgets, let people go, stuff like that, they're now able to rent fully functioning teams that is much more cost effective for them on sort of a short-term basis to help them get through some of the tough periods. Competition. <laughs> now that you've pivoted away from the one-to-one uh, -one kind of marketplace, do you feel like you're competing with uh, some companies out there that you weren't competing with before? A little bit. I think where we tend to sit at the intersection of full-time staffing, freelance platforms, and uh, agencies, consultancies, vendors, small shops, things like that. And it's sort of a combination of those things. So right now, like direct competitors, I mean, we don't have any. Like there is no other place but Wethos that you can go and rent a curated team. That said, this idea in and of itself, I'm sure it's been thought of a million times. We're just the first to execute on it. And for us, when we think about like our competitive mode, it comes down to three areas. Uh, product, so the IP that we have in-house, our taxonomy, our data infrastructure, the way that we automate the team creation, um, and uh, the pricing at the same time and instantly is a huge competitive moat for us. Process, the way that we run our teams uh, in terms of you know being able to kick off in 72 hours, tracking all that feedback, all those timelines, all those deliverables, the process that we run in and of itself that enables complete strangers to come together that quickly and do great work uh, is huge. And then the last piece is our people, which is the center of everything we do. And that's why we guarantee the freelancers get paid on time. Um, we want to roll out protections for them, things like that, because we know at the end of the day, without our people, none of this means anything. And so for me, the winner, I guess, of this space um, is the one who can capture the best talent. And the best talent is going to go to the place that has meaningful work for them and to the place that respects them and treats them well. And that, that in and of itself is not hard to compete with right now. <laughs> for me, like we, we spread our sort of competitive advantages across um, those three areas and that enables us to exist and be hard, much harder to replicate than just copying a marketplace and building sort of a similar functionality for a different market. I think we've covered all the bases. Yeah, it's been awesome. Thank you so much, Rachel. I should do like a brisk walk yeah. every day this time. Why not? I feel great now. I'm like, okay. I get, I did an average of 8,000 steps last year wow. um, with some down days, you know? Yeah. Days where I literally lied in bed and was on Instagram for most of the day. Yeah, that's pretty wild. I thought I was doing well because I live in a six-floor walk-up and I have a 16-year-old poodle that I have to carry up and down the stairs. Yeah. Like four times a day. <laughs> so I've been doing that for six months and now I feel like a triathlete. But um, I'm probably not a triathlete. <laughs> I am not a triathlete, but I am a very vigorous walker. Yeah. And we're going to leave it on that. So. Please check out wethos.co, W-E-T-H-O-S dot C-O. So excited for everything that you're doing, and thank you so much, Rachel. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Bye-bye. Have a good one.